I'm Leanne Spencer, founder of Body Shop Performance Limited, author, TEDx speaker, and your host. This is the Remove the Guesswork podcast, the show where I interview influential people in the health and fitness industry to bring you the latest ideas on how to optimize your mind, body, and well-being. My guest this week is Sarah Williams. Sarah has many strings to her bow, but she used to be a banker and about four years ago she resigned and took on a completely new challenge or set of challenges, I should say. She's the founder of a company called Tough Girl Challenges. She's a speaker, a coach, a podcaster, an author. She's done the Marathon de Sable, which is six marathons in six days in one of the hottest climates in the world. She's hiked the Appalachian Trail and she now gets involved in lots of other people's ventures through her podcast. Her website is toughgirlchallenges.com. You can contact her at Twitter at underscore tough underscore girl. And you're going to hear in this podcast all about our really favorite themes, which is getting into your discomfort zone to build resilience, to build confidence. And we talk lots about that. We talk a bit about her own experiences, experience of interviewing other people who've done some incredible things. People like Anna McNuff, who's cycled the length of New Zealand, climbed Kilimanjaro. People like Kiko Matthews, who I met a few months ago who's just broken the world record for cycling across the Atlantic. So some extraordinary achievements. This is going to be a really interesting episode. If you've got young children, them to have a listen as well, particularly young girls, just so you can see what women are really capable of when we put our minds to it. Now, I think discomfort zone and building resilience and building strength is a really important part of health and well-being. So I thought this was a really relevant episode, a little bit different from our usual, but I'm sure you're going to enjoy it. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's very exciting to be here. Yeah. Is it uh, novel being on the other side of the microphone, as it were? I really enjoy it, to be honest. I actually started, I used to have a daily podcast, so I got very used to just sort of talking to my computer as such every single day. So the problem you're going to have is you're going to ask me one question. I'm going to talk for like 40 minutes. You'll be like, oh my goodness. So I just like talking. (laughs) Well, that's all right. It's a 30 minute show. So that will be our challenge straight off the bat. That's our challenge. I did a bit of research and your story is actually not dissimilar to mine. So I believe that you were a banker in the city. Was it eight years ago? Is that correct? I worked in the city for eight years, but left when I was 32. So it's about four years ago now. So yeah. So let's start there then, because that's an interesting. So six years ago for me, I left, I had a burnout and I left and it's not about me, but I set up something completely different. And so have you. So just tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I suppose it's almost very similar, you know, working in banking, working in finance, heading down to Canary Wharf, working long hours, you know, I'd wake up in the morning, grab my Blackberry, the Sunday blues were just horrendous, like just the thought of going on to work, but I'm a very sort of like positive person, always wanted to put a positive spin on things, but it got to the point where I just thought, I don't think I can do this for the next 20, 30 years, like what am I actually doing with my life? And I'd never taken the time to really think about what I wanted to do, and in the end, I was just like, I was in a very fortunate position that I did have savings behind me so I could actually just leave. I left, I took 18 months off, I went traveling, I went and climbed Kilimanjaro, I spent time in Australia, I went backpacking throughout South America. Wow. And that gave me, I suppose, the time and the freedom to really think, hold on, well, what do I enjoy doing? What are my passions? What are my interests? How do I want to spend the next sort of 20, 30 years of my life? What sort of legacy do I want to leave behind? And that's where I started to realize it was travel, it was adventure, it was challenge. But also I was very passionate about motivating, inspiring women and girls who maybe hadn't been as sort of fortunate as me and didn't have the confidence that I've always seemed to have to get out there and just to do stuff and to take action and make things happen. Hmm. And that sort of combined together to create Tough Girl Challenges, which is now a blog, now a podcast, and I've written books and do motivational talks. So it's all started to slowly come together. 
Yeah, it's incredible. I just want to drill down for a second, if you can bear to be taken back four years. You know, I, I had a very similar experience. I've spent a lot of time looking at the clock in the bottom right-hand corner of my screen, wishing the day away, the week away, the month away, going from rocking from payday to payday. And I think a lot of people are stuck in that modern malaise. But what were some of the feelings that you were having? You've mentioned Sunday blues, which I'm sure a lot of people can identify with. Yeah, Sunday blues and just feeling grey. I know it sounds very difficult to try and describe, but like a colour, I just felt as though my life was just lacking in joy and happiness and that all I did every single day was just work. And there was just no, I didn't have a life. I didn't have a social life. Because I was trying to put this positive spin on it, I was basically creating this like false illusion of what my life was. And when I really looked at it on black and white, I thought, do you know what, I'm miserable. I don't like the people that I'm surrounded with. I'm not happy. I'm not in a good place. And this cannot be my life. This cannot be my future. It's almost, I can actually feel like almost my heart rate starting to raise, like talking about, I can feel like those stresses coming back up. I mean, I don't know about you, but I used to wake up in the middle of the night and be like, oh my God, has that payment gone? Has that been sorted out? Has that been figured out? And even months after I'd left work, I'd still be waking up almost like panicking about stuff. So yeah, very, very happy to leave, very happy to be doing something completely different. But I do agree with what you said. I can see how you can get stuck. You know, once you get a mortgage, once you get kids, once you get into that routine, then suddenly got to keep on doing that. And I was very fortunate. I didn't have a partner. I didn't have a mortgage. I didn't have any ties, any responsibility. So to actually make the final decision was very, very easy. Hmm. That was going to be my next question, actually. So did you have a bit of a gap after resigning? Or did you have the idea of Tough Girl and the brand that you've created from the off? Well, to be honest, it was... The time after, I'd say the first two weeks, it was quite like, oh my God, it's amazing. I've got so much freedom, so much opportunity. You know, what am I going to do? And it was great because I had all these things booked. I did spend a lot of time traveling. But what I really struggled with was not having a purpose, not having a goal. And also, I think like the loss of my identity, because I used to get a lot of status from saying, oh, I work for this big global bank and I do X. And it made me feel good because you got a certain level of, I suppose, respect from individuals. Oh, she's doing that. Oh, wow. Okay. Mm. And I like that. And it was very different when suddenly I'm not working, I'm not employed. Oh, you know, what are you doing? Oh, you know, I'm on holiday, I'm having a gap year, I'm having a you know, midlife crisis or whatever you want to call it. And it wasn't till really that I was over in South America when I was away from friends, away from family, that it was suddenly like, hold on, what do you actually want to do? And I actually got thinking space because I think a lot of the time we're so busy just existing. We're getting through the day, we're getting our jobs done, we're answering our emails, we're just ticking things off to-do lists that we never really had the opportunity to think about, you know, the bigger picture. I mean, or dream or dream. Absolutely. And I think most people, and I definitely did this. I spent more time planning my holidays than I did my actual life. You know, all the research that I would do, where am I going to go? Where am I going to stay? Where are we going to eat? All those sorts of things. I could spend hours and hours and hours, but my actual life and the five-year plan, the 10-year plan, the actual, the real dream, I just didn't get that opportunity or that time. Did you have to downgrade aspects of your life once you left what must have been a pretty lucrative career? Oh, oh, hugely. I mean, you say you didn't have a mortgage, so... Well, but basically, I mean, to put it really in context, that I've moved 
back home with my parents. I basically sold everything. I sold my Louboutins and all that sort of stuff. And I've gone very much like to a very minimalist lifestyle. Mm-hmm. But it's, you know, it's something that I've also realized I don't need all of that extra stuff. It's almost done very, very gradually. Like I got rid of my DVDs, my CDs, my books. So now everything's pretty much digital. Even my wardrobe, it's just, I pretty much just live in gym gear now. But yeah, massive, massive changes. And that is fine. I mean, I am in a very fortunate position. I do live at home. I am supported by my parents at the moment while I'm building my business. I couldn't do what I'm doing without them behind me, to be honest. It's very easy to spend money, but it's very difficult to actually make money when you're following your passion and your hobby. So it's definitely a lifestyle change, but it's one that I don't regret though, because in terms of happiness, I am just so much more happy than I was previously. And I'd rather be happy in myself and have lots of stuff, which doesn't make me happy. Yeah. And when you intersect passion and energy, it's incredible what can be done, isn't it? And I just don't think many traditional corporate careers ignite that kind of passion. I just don't think they do. And people get stuck in there. And I think when you start getting to late 30s, early 40s, people aren't that happy in those jobs. They're in them because they've got kids, they've got a spouse, whether it's a husband or a wife, and they've got school fees and all the accoutrements that come with a decent salary. And in that sense, it is a sort of trap. It's escapable, but it's definitely a sort of trap. And you're just surrounded, I find, with a lot of meaningless stuff as well. I've gone through a bit of a rationalisation of things as well. And it feels good. I'm much more conscious of my consumption, much more conscious of waste, conscious of whether I need that other thing or can I reduce, reuse, recycle. It feels really good. Yeah, it's great. I don't know if you've ever watched like The Minimalist documentary. Yes, I have on Netflix and I listen to their podcasts up until quite recently. Because I think almost like a lot of people, when they do have like the career change, that's that almost plays like an important part because you start thinking, well, what do I want to create? And for me, I really want to be able to create like memories. Mm. So, you know, I'd rather spend my stuff going on adventures, going traveling, visiting people instead of just having a nice handbag and nice shoes and nice jewelry. And don't get me wrong, it's nice to have those things as well. But actually, you're not going to remember in a couple of years what that item was. And so it's, it's very important to me. It's about creating those memories. Yeah. And I actually had a note on my notes in front of me further down where I anticipated we might go. But it was to talk about experiences over possessions, because I think there's increasingly people are more interested in experiences rather than acquiring things. We're becoming a bit more conscious. And I may be talking about the microcosm in London rather than, than, you know, all areas of the country or the world, but a bit more conscious of what we consume and the plastics and everything else that goes into where things are shipped from. So experiences seem to be the thing that, you know, it's, it's harder to buy an experience. You can buy possessions, but you have to create these experiences and how much more fulfilling that is. What's on your wish list then for experiences? Oh, my God, I've got so many. So I I interview (laughs) like such an arrangement of women, you know, these female adventurers and explorers. And every time I speak to one, I'm like, oh, my God, that sounds amazing. So I spoke to a lady called Anna McNuff and she ran the full length of New Zealand because there's something called the Tiwaroa Trail. And I heard that and thought, that sounds phenomenal, if I can say a word. Then I've also spoken to other women. There's these long distance trails over in America. So I threw hiked the Appalachian Trail, but there's another two trails over there, one called Pacific Crest Trail mm-hmm. and the other called the Continental Trail Divide. I've also heard about the Pacific Coastal Highway, which I'd love to cycle down. So there's just like a ton of stuff I'd love to do and get out there and just almost lead this life of adventure and travel but with a purpose while still doing the podcast and the blogging and sharing more about those different types of challenges so yeah I think the problem is sometimes there's so much choice over what you can do and where you can spend your time and sometimes when I speak to like lots of mountaineers I'm like maybe I should go climb some more mountains that's super super fun so I can get sort of swayed very easily or inspired very easily I should say yeah well it all sounds amazing well let's talk about tough girl then tell us about the brand and what you've created 
Yeah, so I wanted, it's called sort of Tough Girl Challenges because I wanted something which was almost like tough and feminine. And I like the idea of almost shocking people because I'm a very much like a, a girly girl. I love the color pink, like everything I have is pretty much pink. But when I tell people some of the challenges that I've done, they're always like a little bit shocked. It's almost like, what, you ran the Marathon de Saabs or, oh, you threw hike the Appalachian Trail. And I quite like that, like that sort of element. And that's what I wanted to be able to combine to say to women and girls, look, you can be feminine and female while still going out and doing you know, these big physical challenges. So originally started off as a blog. No one read my blog. I, you know, <laughs> it's always quite embarrassing, but it was just a new blog starting off. And there's obviously like 150 odd million blogs out there. So well, this isn't making an impact. What else can I do? And I went into some local schools to give some talks. And I was speaking to these young women and girls about their goals and their ambitions for the future. And so many of them either didn't have any goals, didn't have any plans, didn't have any ambitions, or they wanted to become a wag. They wanted to become a wife and girlfriend of a footballer. Mm. They wanted to be a celebrity. And it was like, this cannot be our future generation of young women growing up. And I remember coming home and just feeling very despondent about it. And I was looking through the newspaper. I thought, hold on, where are all the women? Where are the female role models? Where are the female athletes, the explorers, the adventurers? And I couldn't see them. I thought, well, I'm struggling to find them then what are these poor young girls growing up? You know, they can't see it. They can't become it. And so that's when I started with a podcast. I had a good friend who said, why don't you start a podcast? It's an incredible way to get your story out there. I am not technical at all, but I persevered. And I started the Tough Girl podcast back in August 2015 with four episodes. And it's just grown and grown and grown. I've now had over 150 women come on the show. It's listened to in 174 countries around the world. It's recently passed um, half a million downloads. It's currently up for the Women's Sports Trust Media Initiative of the Year Award. I was going to come to that. We'll talk about that later. I was going to say, well, that's really amusing. A bit amazing, you know, amazing to get the recognition. Yeah, incredible. So, um, my, well, I feel as I should mention my competition, which is like Sky Sports, Channel 4 and the BBC. So it's nice that I'm up there, you know, me, something that I started in my bedroom with a laptop and a phone and basically this passion that we talked about earlier because I did you know, I did this and built this brand and I wasn't making any money from it from the first two and a bit years, but I was still, you know, very invested in it, very much believed in what I was doing. And I think it's now started to come out and people are starting to find the podcast and like, wow, there's, you know, there's so much inspiration sort of in there. And that's how it's grown and evolved. And then what well, I've gone off and to do my own sort of physical challenges, because if I'm talking the talk, you're talking about challenging yourself and stepping outside your comfort zone. I've got to be able to put myself in those uncomfortable positions. Yep. So I did Marathon de Saabs as sort of my launch event for Tough Girl. So I'm going to have to stop you there. So your launch event was five marathons in six days in one of the hottest climates in the world. Well, six marathons in six days, but you know what? Six marathons in six days. I'm sorry. (laughs) What's an extra marathon? (laughs) Quite a bit. It makes me think, especially with, uh, you know, if you, when you watch the London Marathon this year, it was like so incredibly hot. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, that was in like 23 degrees. We were generally running in 37, 42 degrees, like incredibly hot temperatures, carrying everything you need on your back. But again, the reason that I did that is that I've run London Marathon before five times. And running a marathon was in my comfort zone. You know, I know that I could go out with training and run a marathon. It didn't scare me. It didn't give me that feeling in the pit of my stomach that nervous feeling and those are the feelings that I need to feel so that I can help other people who are dealing with those feelings like how can you know I get over this and the marathon de Saabs, that definitely scared me I was nervous I was worried you know would I be fit enough would I be strong enough would I be able to endure the heat and the temperatures and and survive out in one of the most 
harshest conditions that we have on the planet and yeah an incredible experience (laughs) incredible experience to actually put yourself through something like that and know that you can do it yeah I'm a big believer and that's the whole theme of this podcast really isn't it in putting yourself into your discomfort zone to build resilience to build confidence it's a hard feeling to articulate I don't know if you can do a better job than I can but just when you've achieved something that you weren't sure you were going to be able to do or you had apprehension about or whatever it might be or it's just well into your discomfort zone and getting it done just changes you doesn't it intrinsically it's just hard to describe what it changes but it does it just adds a layer of resilience and confidence onto you and I would say that's the only way that you can build that confidence and build that resilience because mm. you can't look at stand in front of a mirror and say, you know, I'm strong, I'm strong, I'm strong, or say repeat mantras. You've physically got to go out and do something. You've got to have a goal which makes you nervous, that does challenge you because then when you achieve it, it, suddenly it changes your outlook, it changes your view, and it changes your perception of yourself because you've just proved to yourself that you can go out and achieve a goal or a challenge, whatever it may be. And obviously not everybody wants to go and go and run 52 miles in a day or whatever it is. And I love watching people do it though. Or I love seeing and hearing the stories of when people, they lack this belief that they had this dream, but they go out and they put themselves in those positions and then they complete it and you see it. I think it just changes that body that they stand taller. They just, they carry themselves with more confidence. And that confidence is just that internal brightness coming out and it's amazing to see I mean I remember my mum is she's like 64 years old and you know she's not a rush she never done read an exercise never done any running and she wanted to do a 5k so you know ended up she started with a local run club and she had this goal of running a 5k uh, last year just before New Year's Day she ran the whole way and she was just buzzing at the end of it like the pure excitement she could just take on the world from doing it and I think that's what I want to try and get across to people is you can get that feeling and that experience if you put yourself outside your comfort zone and really challenge yourself. Yeah, I completely agree. So you've interviewed lots of people. Um, They're all on your website, which we'll link to everything in the show notes. What are some of the most interesting stories that you've heard? Oh, my God, there's so many. I suppose a lot of the themes that come through is mainly around fear, like a fear of failure, a fear of judgment. Mm. For me, the stories that really stick out are the overcoming of maybe physical challenges in terms of like illness. So there's two ladies, Fiona Oates, who's this incredible vegan marathon runner. Yeah, I listen to hers. And she doesn't have a kneecap. Yeah. And you're just like, how can you even, you know, her doctor said, you're going to walk with a a limp, you're never going to be able to run. And she gets out there and she does these phenomenal distances and, you know, runs like, I can't remember her marathon time, like something like two hours, 36 minutes without a kneecap. Yeah. I mean, equally Beth French as well, who's an incredible open water swimmer. Her background story of dealing with, you know, ME when she was younger, not being able to get out of bed, not being able to function. And now she's one of, you know, she's this world-class open water swimmer Mm. she's got a a son as well who i think is autistic and you know she's a single mom bringing him up and doing these incredible challenges i mean the other one that shocked me as well was there's a lady called ann daniels who is one of our greatest polar explorers now she's an incredible woman but when she was in her 30s she left her career very similar in banking she also was going through a divorce then she found out she was pregnant and having not one baby, not two baby, but having triplets. Wow. And then she went out, you know, had no clue about the Arctic and went out and started, you know, she became like this Arctic explorer. 
I think there's just no excuses sometimes. I think that's what I get from the podcast that, you know, women, you know, don't have kneecaps or they've got children, they've gone through divorce or they're dealing with dealing with cancer. Or even most recently, I also interviewed Kiko Matthews, who passed this woman to row across the ocean. Brain, you know, she had a brain tumor removed like a couple of months before she was heading out. Yeah. And it just makes you realize almost like the power of human perseverance when they've got a goal and a purpose. And I also know those are very extreme examples but you know there was another lady that I interviewed who was, is like sort of an ordinary woman and I mean that with respect but she's got two young daughters and she was diagnosed with a very very aggressive form of breast cancer you know she ended up losing all of her hair and she was talking about when she was going through chemotherapy how it's very important for her every day to walk her children to school but she started training for like a triathlon like a sprint triathlon and how having that sort of purpose and structure really really helped her and that's not to say that that is for everybody but I think when you hear these stories it's just inspiring yeah it is has anyone story made you think oh that's one I wouldn't do the ones I wouldn't do is I really hate the cold like it's my worst thing yeah it's being cold that's why I chose like to do you know Marathon de Sables in the Sahara Desert so I think anything to do with the cold possibly swimming as well like and also this is just from vanity I wouldn't want to put on like two stone in weight <laughs> to do like the English Channel swim so I think those are the ones that I would stay away from but the fact that I'm probably avoiding them means that maybe I need to face up to my fear of the cold and try and embrace it more but I just don't really get any pleasure from from it and I'd rather just be in the heat or in the desert or somewhere really hot and fabulous so yeah you won't fancy our challenge next year we're doing the arctic circle race there is no swimming is that the 3366 ultra no it's a cross-country ski race wow yeah no I don't fancy that (laughs) yeah we'll go into that but yeah that's going to be a cold one so probably not one where we'll invite you along let's talk a bit about why tough girls you've alluded to it because well, I'll ask you the question. I mean, why for women? And do you think one of the reasons that perhaps, you know, Anne Daniels is not a household name, yet other explorers are, is it because she's female? Do we expect less from women? Do we treat our young girls more safely? What do you think it is about women in sport and with these kind of challenges? And it does seem to be a bit more fearful to me. Why do you think that is? And do you agree? There's so much in that. It's something that I've really grown an interest in. And it's one of the reasons I actually ended up going back to university to my master's in women and gender studies. Because I don't know if it's just because I worked in banking for so long, which is such a male dominated industry, that I almost be, not became immune, but I just became so used to like the sexism and the lack of inequality and, and all of that sort of thing. And I think it just really started to frustrate me and it started to just anger me. And I just wanted to make a difference, really. And there's a lot to say, you know, why aren't women uh, better regarded? Why aren't they more household names? Is it because of the lack of female representation in the media? Is it who's in charge of the media? Is it because we do live in a patriarchy? There's just so many reasons. And there's almost not one cure for it, if that makes any sense. And I think at the moment, there's been a lot going on, whether it's with, you know, I believe her and me too, and the media and equal pay, that people I think are waking up and there is this sort of consciousness raising happening. But I think also with the development of the internet now, we don't have to wait for, you know, the mainstream media to put women on the papers because women are saying, well, do you know what? You're not writing about the stories that I want to hear and I want to be inspired by. I'll start writing them myself. I'll create my own blog. You're not hearing on the radio. You're not seeing on the TV. That's okay. I'll put it out on my YouTube channel. I'll put it out on a podcast. And I think there's this almost like this groundswell because there's no more middleman. There's no more control over the media. If you've got a story, you can get your voice out there and get your voice heard. It's not to say that it's easy to do, 
But at the moment, there seems to be such development in the like the female adventure space. If you look at the communities being being built up, you've got Love Her Wild, you've got the Adventure Queens, to name just two of them as well as you know the, the Tough Girl Tribe. And you've got like the Women Adventure Expo. There's definitely more conferences happening. I think people are becoming more aware that change does need to happen and it's very important for me to be able to increase the amount of female role models in the media so that these young women and girls growing up can see women out there being professional boxers playing football doing sports and being active and that it's okay and that it's not masculine or manly and there's nothing wrong with getting sweaty and getting physical and lifting weights and I just want to change I just want girls to grow up being tough and strong and just yeah, just knowing that they can do anything. And I think what you're doing is brilliant because you said this as well, you know, you can't be it if you can't see it. We need more of those positive role models. There is, I think, movement towards this now. Um, her name alludes me, which is so irritating, but I'll link to it in the show notes. It's a woman in the US who's written, she's an ex-firefighter. Oh, I know exactly who you mean. She's been on the Tim Ferriss podcast and I've been trying to get her on mine. What is her name? And she's been on, I think... T- Does she do stuff around bravery? Yes. Yeah. It's so annoying, we can't remember her name, but I'll link to her in the show notes. And then you've got The Good Night Stories for Rebel Girls, which is a brilliant book that's been produced. So I've bought those for my godchildren, male and female, so as a little boy and little girl, so that they can start seeing you getting exposure to female role models who do things that you might traditionally have thought masculine, but certainly aren't now, like exploring and sport and excelling and other things. So we've just got a few minutes to finish up. I'd love you to talk about the award, because it's obviously real recognition that you've got you know, amongst some huge heavyweights in the media business. And then there's your podcast. There's little old me. Well, compared to the giants of Sky, yes, you know, you're the kind of the minnow in the pool. But who knows? You've got through to the next round. Just give yourself a plug. Do you myself like, well, it was quite funny the other day because uh, Manchester City sent a tweet out, you know, to their half a million followers and they got a couple of hundred retweets. And I was like, oh, I've got like 8,000 followers. But basically, it's I am the underdog. You know, I have a marketing budget of zero. It is me on social media sharing these incredible stories, hoping to build traction. I believe very much in the power of sort of organic growth and the ripple effect that, you know, a woman will listen to the podcast and hear it and be like, wow, this is really, really good stuff. I'm going to listen to the whole back catalogue. I'm going to tell my friends about it. Hopefully they'll start running or cycling. They'll then join this running club. They'll then tell the other female runners and this ripple effect will just grow. Not only in terms of like my podcast getting out there, but the fact that, well, these women, when they start doing you know, physical fitness and getting fit and active, their friends and their family will see it and they'll be like, oh, well, she's going to the gym or she's doing that. Well, maybe I should. And then I think there's just knock on consequences. So, hmm. you know, it's little of me. It's down to the public vote now. I mean, to be honest, to get as far as I have, you know, I'm absolutely stoked. If I did end up winning, it would be incredible. But the key thing for me, which I'm really excited about, is actually being able to attend the networking event and just really just network. And I'm sorry, I'm going to be like leaflet dropping, business carding, collecting, because there's so many inspirational women in who are at the Women's Sports Trust that it's amazing. Because what I find as well is I sometimes find that I'm very isolated. You know, I work from home, I work from my bedroom, and I'm just, you know, beavering away on my laptop and on my phone. And sometimes you can just feel as though it's just you in this fight, you know, trying to increase like the amount of female role models out there. But then when you get to attend events like this, you're suddenly like, hold on, there are a lot of incredible women and incredible companies, incredible brands out there who are making moves and taking steps in the right direction. So I think it's very, very powerful when everyone can come together and see what is happening. So, yeah, the public votes on until the 13th of May. And then on the 24th of May is the announcement. So I've been, I've literally like friends and family, Twitter, Instagram, like vote for me, vote 
definitely vote for me but um, also do vote for me obviously but it's great to be up there it's great to be recognized yeah it's incredible so yeah it's a really amazing honor yeah well good luck with it all will you send me the link so we can put them in the show notes so people can vote Oh, absolutely. No problem. Because I'm sure a wide proportion of it says it's the Women's Sports Trust Awards, the hashtag Be a Game Changer. Be a Game Changer. That's it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Brilliant. Uh, all right. What's next for you? Well, I'm currently in essay and dissertation writing mode. So that has sort of taken over my whole life. I am actually moving out of home at the end of August. I have no idea where I'm going to go and what I'm going to do. But I think it's going to be challenge based. I'm just trying to like sort of cross a few T's, dot a few I's. But at the moment, it's just very much get my master's done. And then who knows? I think sometimes the problem is you've almost got too much choice. I don't I don't necessarily know which direction I want to go in because I'm a very like planned and organized person. So last year, for example, I knew exactly how 2017 was going to be. I was going to spend the first four or five months um, getting everything ready for the Appalachian Trail, go out through the Appalachian Trail, come back October, start my master's, boom. And that was you know, the structure of my year. Whereas 2018, it's been very sort of different. It's obviously been doing my master's and been doing the podcast, getting back my strength and getting back my health and fitness after the Appalachian Trail. And yeah, I don't know. I've just got this open horizon, this blank piece of paper. And it's just like, what am I going to do? So no final decision as yet. Yeah. Okay. Well, that sounds wonderful. A blank sheet of paper. Sounds very exciting. Well, Sarah, thanks very much for joining me on the show. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Interested in finding out what your health IQ is? Jump on our website, bodyshopperformance.com and click on take the test and it'll take you through to a very short two to three minute health IQ test. At the end of that, you'll get a scorecard based on your results and a free 39 page report built all around our six signals, which are sleep, mental health, energy, body composition, digestion and fitness. So jump on the website, bodyshopperformance.com and take our test. Finally, thanks for listening to this show. And if you've enjoyed what you've heard and it's added value to you, share the episode with someone you think could benefit from it. And don't forget to leave a rating, a review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening.